You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Curbed up theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Now, we normally come to you from Midtown Manhattan, but we've taken a field trip for tonight's show to the prestigious Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. Now, during the travels of the production of my husband and my play at The Flash, I met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guests are the playwright and director team of Theater 80 St. Mark's current production of In Love with the Arrow Collar Man, playwright Lance Ringel and director Chuck Munkle. Now, I'll be bringing those guys on in a few minutes, but before I do, I thought it would be nice to give you a little history of Theater 80. Theater 80 presents a range of productions from traditional forms, such as Shakespearean theater and flamenco dance, to the cutting-edge avant-garde and works from new authors. That's great. Theater 80 was first envisioned and built at 80 St. Mark's Place in the Lower East Side neighborhood of New York City. Now, here's a little history of the location. Beginning during Prohibition, 80 St. Mark's Place was a vital destination for performers of all kinds. Jazz greats such as Thelonious Monk, Harry Sweets Edison, John Coltrane, and Frank Sinatra performed there before Theater 80 was established. Now, it's a little tough to pin down, and maybe my guest can help me out a little bit today. Um, it's, It's tough to pin down when exactly Theater 8 was established within the location, but here's a couple of hints. During the 1970s and 80s, Theater 80 was utilized as a film revival house where people were able to see vintage films on a movie theater screen in an audience setting. Uh, Several great names in the theater have left their foot and handprints in the cement of their sidewalk. Isn't that cool? A partial list includes Gloria Swanson, Joan Crawford, Myrna Loy, Ruby Keeler, and Joan Wandell. That's neat. I can't wait to go and see that that area. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, the Greenwich Village Society for Historic Preservation recently recognized Theater 80 with the Village Award for its place in the history of the community. So congratulations on that. Theater 80 has helped create new audiences by welcoming both public and private school groups for matinees and tours of the theater, which have included schools from as far away as Toronto. I think that's terrific because... I remember when I was a young kid um, and I was loving theater, I thought to myself, you know what, I want to know what goes on backstage. I think if you take a young kid who's like into theater, who's like maybe borderline, 
and you take them and you say, hey, I'm going to take you backstage like you've got them. They are, they're in. They're, they're theater lovers for life. I've often said, like, just put me backstage at like a musical and set me on top of a speaker. I just want to see everything that's happening. But I'm kind of a nerd that way. Finally, Theater 80 also provides the theater for free or at reduced rates for community meetings, local filmmakers, playwrights, 12-step meetings, memorials for members of the community, and has produced a benefit for Japan Tsunami Relief. So that's really cool. That's, that's amazing. They're not only helping out the community, they're helping out the, the world and international. So congratulations to them, and I very, very much look forward to going to the show and seeing the theater. So great. Now to bring on their latest duo of accomplished artists. Folks, please welcome to the show playwright and director of In Love with the Arrow Collar Man, Lance Ringel and Chuck Muckle. Hi, Lance and Chuck, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Well, hi. hi Thank you for having us, Sean. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. It's, it's so nice. It's such a beautiful day out here in Poughkeepsie, New York. It was a great, great day to take the train down and... I don't know. I, don't, I think this college is really fun and cool, and I. Well, it's one of the world's one of the world's great uh, commute rides on the train, isn't it? Though? Yeah, it's from New York to Poughkeepsie. Oh my gosh, I love that. We just and I was like, I had the window seat, which <laughs> normally David actually makes me give him the window seat. So I had the window seat, and I just sat there and listened with my headphones, and which I don't normally do. It actually distracts me from doing work on the train. So <laughs> there you go. Anyways, uh, tell our audience about in love with the arrow collar man, please. In Love of the Arrow Collar Man is, the, is a major slice of cultural history that most people don't know about. And it's also a gay romance that most people don't know about. Uh, everybody's heard of Norman Rockwell, but before Norman Rockwell, there was a gentleman named J.C. Liondecker who drew most, most of the covers of the Saturday Evening Post before Rockwell. Right. And uh, his first model for the Arrow Collar ads, Charles Beach, uh, and they ended up together nearly 50 years. Wow. And um, they knew everybody. Uh, <laughs> so there's this amazing story. There's only a couple nonfiction books about him, and there's never been a dramatization. And I decided to write it, and Chuck is directing it. And um, you'll see not only these two people, but Rockwell and um, colorful characters like Walter Winchell and Texas Guinan from the early part of the 20th century in it as well, because they knew everybody. Wow, very colorful. Cool. Um, how did this current production come about? Well, we started with a 23-minute version of the show last year in the New York New Works Festival, uh, which is produced by Gene Fish, and he is helping us out on this production. So we made the semifinals last year, and people were very excited by the story and um, the, the potential for it to be a full-out show. Because, again, they were only getting a 23-minute excerpt of the show uh, last year. So one thing led to another, and we were able to finesse having it at Theater 80 for a, a bit of a show, an equity showcase run from November 8th to December 2nd. And we're in the middle of that, sort of winding down the last, uh, to the last few days, but we're... We're as excited as we've been uh, for the whole for the whole run to to be in the middle of this world premiere of the show of this story that people are just getting to know about. We had the great good fortune uh, that the actors who played uh, uh, Charles Beach and Joe Liondecker were available to come back. So that was part of the timing of this because they had done such a wonderful job uh, last year. Ian Brodsky as Joe and uh, Jack D. Martin as Charles. That's terrific. Um, congratulations on making the, the semifinals and then your, your new production. That's 
That's awesome. Now, had you written the full script and then you guys parsed it down to 23 pages or was it 23 pages and then you developed uh, it? The former. Uh, I actually wrote uh, In Love with the Arrow Collar Man in 2010. Wow. Uh, and I had a couple major projects intervene in the meantime uh, and we kind of got back to it last year looked at it and looked at other things we'd written and because we knew it was a 23 minute festival and found out that this was one where the first two scenes plus something from the ending would make it work in that kind of uh, setting and it did uh, so this was the first time we got to do the whole thing but yes the whole thing was written before the uh, segment was I had this funny experience last year submitting for festivals thinking <clears throat> Why are all the requirements 20 minutes? Yeah. Not, people are not writing 20-minute plays. And then I realized that people are presenting an excerpt or portion of their show. And then the interest of the evening is you see five or six things in a given evening. Uh-huh. And so you have a, a, an evening's theater entertainment. But you see a lot of different shows in process. Some of them have been written. Some of them are just 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And some, like ours, are a full, a full show. So it's it's an interesting process leading up to the culmination of the of this production for us. And having said that, uh, we actually made the semifinals of New York New Works again with the only thing the two of us have ever written together, which is a musical that was in fact about twenty five minutes called uh-huh. Animal Story. Uh, Excellent. And um, Chuck wrote the uh, music, and I wrote the lyrics and book, and we were, I believe, twenty three and twenty six respectively back when that happened. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Wow. So, so it made its debut on 42nd Street quite a bit later. Wow. That's that's amazing, you guys. Now, now, how did you uh, put together those 23 pages? I mean, did you did you just take um, a, a chunk out of the middle? Did you just shorten the play? Do beginning, middle, end? That was the, it was this play worked to take the beginning and then just a piece of the ending so that they the festival audience had some sense of closure in the gotcha. shorter one. But it's basically, the play is basically six scenes and we basically did the first two. Wow. Uh, and it worked well. Uh, Chuck has a wonderful musical that he uh, co-wrote with his frequent collaborator, David Eisner, called Morning Becomes Ridiculous, which also was in the same festival last year. And we know how good it is, but it, it didn't excerpt as well uh, because sometimes that that format just doesn't work so well for accepting a good piece so yeah now i see that morning becomes ridiculous one this is off of this is off of your right, website yes, Chuck. Yes. um it, it was it won best book and lyrics best actor best actress um at the manhattan theater mission second annual showcase of musicals right so that's that's great um what is morning becomes ridiculous about well, that's it's a it's a funny fun turned upside down take of Sophocles Electra where suddenly the fates do not govern your lives anymore mm-hmm. and you all have to take your free will and decide your future and the people in the story are agog they just can't right. figure that out and so it causes for you know multiple multiple mayhem and they they sort of collide and then decide to go on. How fun! So, yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, did you did you modernize the story a little bit, or did you? Well, were you doing the we did, we have, language? We have the lang- I say would say the language is a mixture. 
So we have a colliding, like for instance, as a chorus, Chloe, Phoebe, and Laverne. So, <laughs> so they they That's they're great. a bit like great. your you know traditional uh, women's women's chorus, but then they're like out of the out of the fabric of our 20th century at the same time. Wow. So, well, I thank you for that because I sometimes have a really hard time watching the Greek tragedies, reading them uh, as Shakespeare as well. I sometimes I. And I'm very forward, forthcoming about this, but sometimes the language, I have a problem with the language because there's a translation that has to occur between the actor saying it and me figuring it out. Unless, of course, you know, you're a scholar of them. Uh, and then um, uh, and, and by that time, you know, you're three lines down. Sure. So one of the funny collisions in that show is we do have a traditional chorus, which are called the victims of history who are people like um, uh, Oedipus and Cassandra, sure. who, who have been, you know, the slashing wrists kind of lives and drama, and then they're called on things by the anti-chorus, the three women. So what a cool they, idea. Come in, they come in and out of the activity of the drama of the, of the characters. And they, they wonder, you know, they wonder the, the Aegean bemoaning life and their, their, their lot in life. And then these other three who have had a dream that told them everything is going to be different. Opening song. <laughs> they, they just have to tussle and figure out now how is this going to be different. Wow. So, so it's a fun little fun little piece that lasts about 75 minutes <laughs> and you're in and out and uh, you get this whole little story excellent yeah. that's great um now let's let's get back to in love with the era color man um how are the audiences reacting to the show what are the the, the comments you're hearing wildly enthusiastic very enthusiastic but I, I suppose the most common comment is i had no idea uh i, I learned so much and but not because it's a lesson, although in fact it's framed as a lecture by a charismatic art teacher with projections and then flashing back to the lives of right. Joe and Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so many people uh, have come up and said, wow, this is just amazing. What a story, and it's true, and I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, that's great. I, had, I myself so that, had no idea. That is the bottom line I would, yeah. reaction, I would say, for that, most people. That's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, your... your educating people on a couple that had been together for years and years and yeah. worked together. Yeah. That's, that's outstanding. Now, you two have been together for... 41 years. 41 years. How often do you work together? Now, you're working together on this show, but do you, have you worked together a lot in the past? In the past year, we have done six... six. Shows. Six shows. So we have had a concentrated period of doing this. Oh, my gosh. In the past three years, since Lance's World War I novel called Flower, Flower of Iowa mm-hmm. has come out as an ebook, we have been touring all over doing a, an evening's presentation of the book. We read the characters. I sing World War I songs. And people have just been totally charmed by that. So they get an idea of the book. Of course, here are two 60-somethings reading these two 18-year-old characters. But people just love it. Why not? And it it registers with them. It doesn't matter. The the emotions and the story are the same no matter 
who's communicating. Sure. So so that's worked really well too. And we've gone from across across the country and back and to London and Stephen Fry has tweeted about it and it's been a really amazing experience. And then we opened the International Dublin Gay Theater Festival, which you're familiar with. I uh, am. In yes. Ireland. Uh, yeah. uh, this, Just uh, this past this spring with uh, April. the reading. And um, we didn't think of it at the time, but doing the tour, we call it a little tour in a Hyundai because everything fits in the car. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> a Flower of Iowa uh, actually ended up being very good practice for us to for what we've done the last two years with these six different productions. Wow. Now, um, tell me about working together. Talk about that a little bit. It's, it's uh, obviously there's moments of friction, but it's probably more noticeable to people from the outside how few moments of friction there are mm-hmm. uh, because we have been together for so long. We know each other's work. We did uh, a play of Chuck's this summer called uh, Running For My Life, which uh, was the first production of that, which was in a festival that allowed it to be a full run. And I didn't really have much of a, uh, a formal role, but uh, I, it was important to both of us that I was there to be with well, that's that's not true because okay. you were the assistant director and the dramaturg. So sometimes he minimizes his. Uh, <laughs> well, his contribution. I, I, I kind of hate the title dramaturg. Well, I know you. But, but it, it it said when I looked it, it up important. that you have to get the playwright and the director talking to each other, and of course he was both. So I had to uh, <laughs> and Of course, that. I would come into the cast, and he, he's there as the assistant director. They'd ask a question. I'd say, "Well, I'll, I'll have a consult with the writer, and we'll right. <laughs> I'll bring I'll bring the result." Because I never wanted to feature being right. the writer, right. you know, holding for dear life onto the words. Right. Yeah. And as the director, I just had to, and that's for my show. Right now, for Eric Collerman, I wrote it. He's directing it. So we've had a few moments, but mostly uh, I love the creativity that he brings to it and brings out in the young actors. And what kind of happens with us, because most everything we've done in the last year has been with young actors primarily, is that you sort of end up be, like being dad and dad to the the family of the company, and, wow. and so you don't want to you don't want to fight in front of the kids. <laughs> True, <laughs> but that's an amazing experience because that I feel almost like I mean we talk about so where's the theater going on all those different questions that I know you have. That is what feels to resonate for us that we're sort of making this a mission to, to give work to younger people. Who, you, so many come in and they're just so incredibly talented. And to give them something to do and to let them be able to be freely creative apparently is something that isn't as common. I, I'm shocked at that, having been mm. being an actor for right. 40 years and having a variety of good experiences, but some not so good ones at the same time. A lot of them just say, oh, thank you for even just getting back. Just being nice to them. Frankly. Being nice to them and telling them, wow, we're right. sorry you didn't get the job, sure. but we keep a body of, of people for and future we work. And we do, and we've done that. Yeah. So it's really interesting to give them something of value to then have a, like this familial family experience. That, that's great philosophy. Um, I remember when our, our play at the flash, uh, was starting to take off. It was really my first taste mm-hmm. of some success of, of being, you know, of, of dealing with this. And I am, I am so fucking neurotic that like, <laughs> I have to have a, a therapist teach me how to be successful, but this was a lady that was used to dealing with artists and she said, 
if you always remember that, keep your relationships as the primary goal. Uh, just focus on the relationships, uh, make that the priority, and everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Took a while to understand that, but she was absolutely right. Um, it, it's it's for a couple reasons. First of all, because you're you have a reputation now for being people who being artists who have sympathy and empathy. And that's that's terrific. That's really, really important. And and I'm just gonna say it, sanity. Mm. <laughs> and that's and it's true. Well it helps us all keep it and keep the perspective on the business right. by keeping our integrity and sanity about our integrity as much as we can. I mean obviously in the creative moment, <laughs> right. we spin out to wherever we spin. But I, what I was going to say is, regarding some of those points, I find my sanity in the actors. Right. I, again, feel like I have a certain thing I can give them as a gift almost, but I get in almost because I, I say, I'm going to get in your faces and I'm, it's going to be like we're doing a movie. You know, I'm just trying to see where they're, what's the one's doing, what sure. the other's doing. And then that just... Is, it enables the drama to spin out almost of its own accord. And that, that just seems to work. Well, yeah, I mean, I think a, a directors have to have to get micro at times. Mm-hmm. They do. They have to get in and, and make sure that those details are there. That's your job as a director. Right. And to let to allow them to be creative. Because I just say, bring everything you have for me, mm-hmm. and then we'll shape it. You know, if you have 10 choices or 100 choices... Bring everything you have. I'm not. I don't have an, a vision about how this has to be. Right. So I, that just is a way that works for me and has worked in these different experiences we've had together. That's that's excellent. So, uh, also, one of the the reasons why she said to focus on the relationships is because there are so many ups and downs. And, you know, one year you're up here, the next year you're back in front of your computer writing and figuring stuff out again. And um, just as the relationships as the your you as real people. Right. And as, yes, if course. you do that, you're developing uh, uh, bonds with people that understand you mm-hmm. and who can empathize with you. And uh, so anyways, that's that's just a little bit of, of uh, psychology there for success. <laughs> but what it does, Sean, is it, it maintains your humanity in this business can be that can be so inhumane. Indeed. So that's, I think, a really important thing. Oh, yeah. It's it's probably the best piece of advice I've ever mm-hmm. gotten in, in taking this ride. Boy, mm-hmm. it's a crazy ride. So. Well, one of the ironies of us working together is... Chuck has been an actor for four decades, so he's somewhat weary of of some parts of the theater that I, it's still new for me. Uh-huh. Uh So it's an interesting uh, dynamic because we kind of balance each other out that way. Oh, that's 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 great. Um, it's it's good to have that balance. It's it's always nice when one person is kind of being neurotic and um, just well, if it's. I'm going to speak from my experience <laughs> working with my husband, David, who's sitting right over here. Uh, we, we work together in so many ways. And it's nice if we're in a place to where he's going crazy and I can be calm and vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, we don't we don't tiff that much, but it's usually about silly things. But anyways, 
This, that's I, I digress into yeah, myself, which great. I shouldn't do on, a, yeah. on my show with uh, my guests here. So thank you very much for the segue into your guys' feelings about the state of theater now. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. These guys have been on the radio, and, and they, they know the drill. It's, it's awesome. Um, are there any particular messages and themes that speak strongly to you and the projects you select to write or direct or act in? Certainly, as a writer, between the novel that I have out and this play, I feel like LGBT history, because it got covered up and, and left aside, is really attractive to me because the stories are, are incredible, some of them, and um, they haven't been told. So to come across something like the lives of J.C. Leyendecker and Charles Beach and realize nobody's ever done a novel or a play version of it and that I had the field to myself is a wonderful thing for a writer to have. Uh, I think the most significant thing happening culture-wide is that all sorts of groups that have not been heard from are finally getting a chance to be heard from, and it's going to enrich our culture immeasurably over the coming decades. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Terrific. It would be nice to think that they will continue to be, be, be heard because our... Certainly parts of our government are trying to tamp down people being heard. So I think we're going to be in a bit of a struggle. Maybe that is what, what taps the creative energy anyway, when you have that struggle where someone's trying to hold things back and you can't. The dam just overflows. So sure. stories will come rushing forward like this or any, any good story to be told, I would say. That worries me less. Well, I understand that uh, may worry you less. I'm, I'm yeah, just thinking from yeah. my point of view, what draws me is usually a good story yeah. and interesting yeah. characters rather than yeah. some some flashy something or other, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's, I always feel character-driven is what, what speaks to me and what causes me to get excited about a project. Great. Yes. So, so it sounds like just digging into where where the intimacy is, right. where the relationships are, reminds me of uh, of uh, my friend Howard Margulies, our friend, I should say, who's actually been on the show. He's a playwright as well. Um, he says he likes living rooms. Mm. That's just <laughs> I, I like living rooms. I like to put the characters in a living room and then see where they go. Mm-hmm. So we have a living room segment in our place. So. Good. <laughs> um, what do you two think is an important direction theater is taking right now? I would say, again, in the smaller venues, that there are stories being told. Even something like which we haven't seen, but we talked about seeing come from away, mm-hmm. which is a bigger venue, being that it's that it's Broadway. It sounds like. It's more story and character driven, and the characters get to play, and the actors actually get to play different roles. Oh yeah, it's so a great show. I find that that prospect to be appealing. We have done that in several instances in the in the shows that we have worked on, and it gives the actors 
interest, you know, another interesting thing to do. And when they can, when they can help spin out the drama by using their creativity, it just makes it all the, all the more interesting. I would it's, say that's actually a really good point and, and an excellent, excellent example because that's a big show, but it feels small. So that's what I hear. I mean, we haven't seen it, right. but that's, that is an interesting possible way that things are maybe that are spinning out a little more than they were. It felt like we were, we were really into spectacle right. totally for a while, but now I think maybe, maybe we are getting back to some character driven stories. Absolutely. Another good example of, of a show out right now that does that is The Band's Visit. Okay. Um, that's, that's directed by David Cromer. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent show that feels, it's big, it's in a big theater, but it feels really, really small and intimate. So mm-hmm. I totally hear you. Lance? When I said I was worried less than Chuck was about the political climate, I, I always like to say Ronald Reagan made Madonna possible. Um, oh my gosh, that's great! Yeah, because that's a play in itself, the, right the, there. The, the culture responds to what's going on politically, and usually in a uh, in a counterpoint way. So I would guess that under under what we're we're going under uh, politically, that there's going to be a flowering probably of very good theater and movies and etc. Because the culture tends to react to. Uh, that kind of attempts at repression at, at the top. Uh, that's that's been my experience over my lifetime, which is now sixty five years and counting. Uh, so, I stop. I, and yeah, no stop. way. It is yes. I, I feel good about that actually. It, your senior senior discounts are great. You way. you look good uh, too. But, <laughs> but anyway, don't uh, worry. I'm getting the AARP that, emails okay. myself. Yeah, yeah right. So um, yeah, so. It's going to, as I said before, to have more voices of African-American playwrights, of Latino playwrights, sure. Asian-American playwrights, LGBTQ playwrights, women, women yeah. is, is going to change our culture for the better because we've had a great history in theater, and I actually took a class here at Vassar on some of the uh, best stuff of the last 150 years or so in America, but we've been mining relatively narrow amounts of people's experience the more people's experiences we can mine for the great stories that are out there, the richer it'll be for all of us. Wow. Excellent answer. Um, now, other than Come From Away and, and the band's visit, um, I know you, you guys, it seems like you're, you're, you're applying your answers to indie theater. Um, are there any particular shows, other than those, on your radar that aren't, that aren't written by you? or directed by you, that you feel exemplify this new vision that you're talking about, or direction of theater? And one of the tough things of being as active as we've been in the last year and a half with putting on six shows is we haven't gotten to see as much as we could. <laughs> That's a me, very common answer. Let me just throw an answer, though, at you. It's, it's not... Um, um, Jack, who is, plays Charles, was in a show this past summer called Sonder, which is was very interesting because it was about a male-female couple and a male-male couple, and they actually never have met, and it's got a bit of magical realism in it. And I just was watching it thinking this play couldn't have been written or put before an audience 10 years ago. It's called Saunter? S-O-N-D-E-R, which is an expression about, uh, as they explained, not in the play, but on the playbill of uh, the Dan Moldovan was the playwright, uh, that it's an expression meaning the awareness that somebody else's other people are leading lives as rich as yours. 
Wow. Um, and it wasn't a perfect play, but it was. I really was thoroughly taken by it. Uh, and because this young male-female couple moves into a house where a, a gay couple, a male couple, has uh, been and died and years before, and then they, the two couples kind of interact but don't interact. Uh, and I thought this is... This just wouldn't have been here with that kind of audience ten years ago, and I thought I thought that's that's cool that places like and and looking at the audiences that are coming to our play, mm-hmm. yes, there are certainly a, a, a goodly number of uh, gay male theater goers, and particularly of a certain age, because one of my real concerns about theater is how many people have you know gray hair. Period. Not that we don't love folks with gray hair because we have it, but you know that, that you get younger people in there. But it is a more mixed audience than uh, it would have gotten if we had done it even when I first wrote it. I think. Wow. Cool. Okay. So you have a. Um, again, I feel. I don't know how I feel this needs to go or where where my my heart lies with it, except to work on these stories that do not get the light of day you know because you don't you don't have the two or ten million dollars to do it on a Broadway stage and perhaps have it go down the drain because of a a bad times review or something like that so uh, again I go back to the mission of if we could have more people trying to get younger people involved in the theater then we could create a lot of little experiences like this that that we can't that, that don't necessarily have to you know break break the bank, but they can they can be of value and importance to get out there, for for the theater going public. It something like these little shows then can be done off fringe in London or you know wherever whatever other in Chicago in some some little theater. It doesn't have to be the big splashy you know tour tour Broadway show. So I'm not. I know I'm not. Uh, I'm not pinpointing any particular shows or, or 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 writing or anything. But that's sort of what I'm what I'm feeling. That's mission about these days. A terrific and I, I do have to say a very original answer to that because it, it feels like your your focus is more of being sort of a pioneer of finding that as In opposed sense, yeah. yeah as opposed to saying. That's what it is. You want to find it, right? And I think, I and think that's exactly right. That's 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 a great answer. Um, now you've touched on this a little bit, but what do you think is the best part of being involved in smaller, more intimate productions? Well, as yeah, the sort of family feeling you get is definitely part of it. And I think maybe for somebody who's at my point in life who's never had kids, the touching being back in touch with young people because small theater tends to be populated by young people sure. um, predominantly I think it, that's one of the most wonderful things about it uh, and it also is about as Chuck was saying creativity uh, we don't have much of a set at all and it's just amazing what gets done with the set pieces that we've got uh, so small theater maybe forces you to do that because you don't have a big budget to throw around. Absolutely. And, uh, and yet it's well. funny how you have to be discerning in the small theater. When we did my show in, um, in August, and it, was a, it was a fun production, very, very simple, and we just used blocks, 
theater blocks, right? Just plain old theater blocks. They became everything. They could just be everything in the show, and that worked really well. I thought with this show, even though we would have a, just a bit of set and a room divider and some chairs, we'd bring out the theater box from the basement of Theater 80. We brought them up on stage, and they, it's not about Theater 80's blocks, but in the context of the show, we were just all wrong. They, they learned us, actually. terrible. Oh, wow. So I thought, no, the blocks are going back down right. to the basement, and we used chairs, and the chairs just fit our minimal concept as units that had to move around the set, as per a show that didn't have a big budget, but that could still be a, have a sort of modular quality to it. So within, within the framework of small theater, there was still like a delineation about how this could work as opposed to this, that could work. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was an interesting and, and music discovery. Music stands turned into artist easels and various other things. And pieces uh, of furniture. So it's, it's sort of like let your, you let your imagination go with it, you're fine. If someone sits there saying, well, this should be a bigger budget, you know, there should be a living room or there should be a settee or there should be a, an artist classroom, then, <clears throat> then you're already lost. And as long as you can meet the people, I feel like <clears throat> people's imaginations can be spurred by the smallest suggestion and, and they'll go with you. And once they are, they're paying more attention to the text and the acting right? because they're not distracted by a quote-unquote realistic uh, fancy set. And to to your one point, Sean, about small theater, it also, (laughs) it's a personal thing. It takes me back to my roots when I was playing in all these little theaters. All all these little theaters don't even exist in the East Village. On Bond Street and Great Jones Street and, of course, La Mama with Tom O'Horgan and Eve Miriam and all these people from the, you know, the past of theater. So there's something very, very rooted in it for me personally. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these people that we're working with are getting a little bit of the sense of how that all is or was. So that's that's neat for them. And yet people are still making theater in unlikely spaces. It's just spread out a bit geographically in New that's York City. Uh, again, thanks to the fact that they've been working with young people who then want you to come see them in other things. Right. Uh, yeah, behind an art gallery in Chinatown or yeah, on 36th Street on the third floor. Those places are not where you'd have gone when we first came to New York, but now you have to seek those places out because people are to put their shows on. It's amazing because uh, David and I, although we've come to New York many, many times, uh, we were both born and raised in Southern California. And because of what we wanted to do with our play and our careers, we moved to New York two and a half years ago, and I, I am just amazed at how many new theaters, not new theaters, but a new theater to me that I go to. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where, oh, there's a theater over on, you know, on, on 8th Avenue and uh, 42nd Street, and like, where, where would where that theater, the okay, go in there and go up four floors, <laughs> and, then, and then there's this giant theater, so. Yes, it's, yes. it's amazing. It's, it's amazing to, to discover all of that. So, these venues start to remind me a little bit of London, and London, in some ways, I think, to us is our holy grail, because you've always been able to find unlikely little theater spots away from the West End in London. Really? Oh, yes. We've had plenty of experience. There are lots of above-the-tavern yeah, theaters. Yeah, they're there. really big there's on things above and behind the pub-type uh, theaters that we've seen stuff at in London. And, and in fact, one of the fellows in the show, who is British, British. said... 
now the thing for pe- young people in London is young people, they go to the theater and then they go out drinking. drinking. <laughs> but they're, but the but they're young people the going to the theater. But they're going. Yes. Right. So right. that's a whole right. interesting uh, knowledge about the, the newer generations. Wow. That's that's definitely new information mm-hmm. to me. I mean, I think when when David and I go to London, or anybody that travels to London that's a theater lover, you will focus on the West End. You will focus on on the big shows that are there, and 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 so it's good to know that. Yeah, it's there's a very rich uh, and uh, vibrant fringe scene in London, and we've seen some really amazing stuff in very unlikely spaces. <laughs> wow. And that's New York should be stage about the size of this table. Yeah, wow, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's literally the audience that we're here right Right. now, right? Right. With three people around and they're standing on the table. (laughs) I'm gonna have to get some of our friends from London on the show. I keep trying to do that to talk about Mm, that. That would be interesting. That would be very. Yeah, it's it's great uh, to to hear about other people's theater culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So wow, cool. Uh, we've had uh, Sean Denyer and Howard Lodge from the Dublin Gay Theater Festival on oh, okay. as well. I don't know if you know them, but anyways. We know Brian Merriman. Brian Merriman, yeah. right. He, they work with Brian yes. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, um, okay. What should every theatrical artist, writer, director, actor, technician, uh, be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? I would say, just from my point of view, find something that speaks to you and embrace it. Because the more you keep looking from other people to provide you opportunities, the less you're going to be satisfied or happy or have a continuing career. I've been an actor, now I'm suddenly a director too. I don't know if I want to be an actor anymore, but it, I've created opportunities for myself which have led to all kinds of other things that I wouldn't have had uh, the richness of experience of if I hadn't just gone ahead and said, okay, I'm going to do this one-man Oscar LeVant show that right. was out there for a brief time. And suddenly it's all over, you know, I'm doing it all over the place. So and I, I get to get up and stand for an hour and a half, just me and the, the audience. Sure. So those kinds of things don't happen unless you seek them out more than wait for people to come up with the idea for you. So oh, yeah. I would say that that's the thing. That's what I tell people to honor. Honor something that speaks to you that you really want to do and, and go with it. Excellent, Lance. I think Chuck pretty much summed it up. Uh, it's, it's a matter of being yourself and uh, going after what you're passionate about. Uh, I think you cannot let yourself get caught. I, we, we had a, a young person in one of our shows who clearly wanted to be a star without being an actor. Oh. Uh, and, I, I, and, and that road leads nowhere, as far as I'm concerned, for people in, in, in this particular business. Uh, and you do have to recognize it as a business. It's been very interesting and sobering to see what it costs to put on even a modest production. And you cannot go into it blind. You do have to act like a business person and sure. budget and et cetera. And, and uh, we're coming in just bright slightly under budget on this one uh, because I looked at it all really carefully before we went in and that's a piece of it people involved in theater don't like to talk about but uh, I think you need to have that you need to say is this possible and can you do this and can you do this without exploiting your cast 
Hmm. Uh, because uh, we mix non-equity and equity people. We follow equity guidelines and we pay everybody the same amount. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. And I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Excellent. Very respectful. Love that. That's terrific, you guys. Okay. Now, before I ask you what you're working on um, that's new, that you haven't talked about already, if there's something you want to talk about, um, and ask you to give us social information, um, do you want to do a speed round with me? Do what? A speed round? No, a speed round. Sure. Okay. You've been tipped off a little bit on this. So, okay. Ready? What's your favorite play? Uh, who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? That's easy. Um, I'm doing badly already on the speed round, but anyway. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. Skip. Pass. Are you passing? I'm passing. Okay, you can come back to it if you want sure, to. Sure, sure. Favorite musical? Sunday in the Park with George. Okay. Probably Cabaret, but Beautiful is I would love to, because it's not just a jukebox musical. It's about the art of songwriting, and the book is much underrated. It's so good. I love it's that show. Terrific, and the idea of combining Man and Mile with uh, Carol King and Jerry Goffin was brilliant. I love that. I love that. I love, and and it's the only time I've ever stage doored anybody. I stage doored Nancy Wheeler, and she was super nice. She's very nice, like from Chicago too. Yeah. Her family is like like theatrical royalty in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I, I digress. Favorite writer. Stephen Sondheim, but I do want to call him on not going with the gay stuff and not really writing gay stuff when he should have been. So there you go, Stephen, if you're listening. Fair enough. <laughs> he was on a panel when I was in the ASCAP Musical Theater Workshop, so he, uh, <laughs> I was there listening to him, so he can he can listen to me for a moment. Oh, okay. You didn't bring that up when <laughs> I he was not, on the... Oh, okay. On, uh, yeah, right. the, I just feel like he had such ample opportunity to, to transcend that and, I agree. As much as I love what what he's done, I, I don't know. I just that's a small a small pet peeve. I'd agree. So I would. He he had an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. He could have taken yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. This will sound really awful, but I'm my own favorite writer. If I don't like what I do, who's going to? Okay. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> uh, favorite director. Hmm. <clears throat> Are you your own favorite director? Mm, no, I like what I do. <laughs> I feel like, but I, um, I was just uh, suddenly Robert Altman came to mind, just because of his ability to pull different characters into a story, disparate characters, and make them work in a in a grand design. Yes, he's very very organized. Mm-hmm. Robert uh, Altman. Yes, that's, yes. That's what I would call it. Very organized, yes. and and he starts with good scripts, anyways. Mm-hmm. So it works. That makes yeah, it works. So and, and and he's organized by making it seem not organized because you have the overlapping dialogue mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, which is of course how people really talk. 
Oh, yeah. So I, I yeah. like that about what he does. I'll go along with Chuck on this. Absolutely. And he's directed theater as well. Yes. I didn't he I know? Didn't he direct Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean? Or was that Mike Nichols who directed that? Anyway. Okay. That's that's the brain <laughs> teaser. Every once in a while, I throw out a brain teaser. Someone Maybe call, somebody call in. Someone can call. Yeah, somebody can send me like <laughs> an, an, an instant message. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Have you fi- have you figured out your favorite play yet or no? It's uh, I don't I don't think of any one play that just kind of uh, that I went back to again and again. I that I do that occasionally with musicals. I don't do that so much with plays. Okay. Uh, um, obviously, yeah. Uh, it could be a tie. We read. You know, it's really. <laughs> I've been ties on the show before. It's also very interesting because um, I like I said I had a course here at Vassar on 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 great American plays, and it was really interesting to read. Here's one that's nearly forgotten that I just think is f- brilliant, and that's Night Mother. Night Mother? Yeah. I, when, when I, we saw it when it had its Tony-winning run, and then I read it as a 50, 60-something with a bunch of college-age kids here at Vassar, and I thought, this play is just so tight and so wonderfully done because it happens in real time and your sense of dread throughout it just grows and not just wow I would I admire that I could I would love to be able to write something quite like that I have never seen the play it's devastating did you it see the done right we saw it with Kathy Bates with Kathy and, Bates. and, and, and Petoniak yeah, yeah yeah and it's it's devastating it's done right it's obviously not the cheeriest thing but it sure hits home wow I, I would love to see that on stage. Um, and alternately, since this was the same class I was in, I read Fences and realized how good it was, and then we saw the movie, and it doesn't doesn't hit it. No? No, Fences is really meant... Some things are meant to be on stage, I think, and I think Fences works as a stage play. And I think Night Mother does, too. And maybe the best plays don't translate so well to cinema. I don't know. Sometimes they do, and sometimes yeah. they don't. You're right. Now, that was uh, Marcia Norman wrote yes. Mother, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. really like her writing. Yeah, this uh, to me is just kind of a masterpiece. This, uh, if you, it sounds like an insult to say small masterpiece, but it, it's exactly that because there's something so intimate about it, the way it's written and what it's dealing with. Oh yeah, well, it's a two character play. Yeah, and you need yeah. like dynamite actresses yes, to do you it. Do. You do for sure. And like, didn't wasn't that one of Anne Petoniak's first? plays like she started been, she started like as an I remember reading as an actor like in her 50s or 60s yeah. or something like that wow that's uh, maybe the next I don't know somebody do that play again so I can see it <laughs> just for me just for me okay lastly do either of you have a mentor I'll answer first because it's easy no no. Okay. That's there. There have been people who that, that arrogant guy who likes his own writing. There you go. No. That's that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a mentor, he would he would not know about it at all. But the fellow who I took a class with when I was working on my play, and actually a lot of it takes place in Chicago, mm-hmm. the thing we did in August. Um, I had originally planned it as a solo piece, and he suddenly said, uh, Arthur Jerome who's written, written you know, a variety of plays. I involved with the Ensemble Studio Theater. But this was in the 90s, and this class was the primary stages. And he said, well, even if you want to keep the play as a solo piece, take the characters and the scenes and write them out. You can always write them back. Sure. But once they got written out, they were really interesting. 
And so the characters remained in the play. So I feel like he, he, he sort of mentored me in a weird way with that play that we did uh, in August. And I, I'm, nobody else is, is jumping out. At the risk of being uh, stating the obvious, there's no way I could have done this last year and a half without Chuck. Uh, he's got the theater experience and he's got uh, all those years as an actor, which so transcend- makes it so transcendent when he deals with younger actors particularly. Uh, I don't have that. I have the words. Um, and I keep close watch on the language because I'm a wordsmith. But uh, that way I think we maybe complement each other. Aww. He's also, Lance is also good at communicating with people. And our, uh, he's always a very good arbitrator. And uh, um, there's another word that's not arbitrator. Diplomat. But diplomat, yes. So he, he has that quality. That's adorable, you guys. That's so nice. Wow. I basically just do whatever David tells me to do, and that's the way. That's the way that all works. Yeah, we neither one of us does that. One, right? yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, is there anything new that you're working on that you haven't already talked about in the show that you'd like to talk about? Not particularly, uh, only in the regard that we have this body of work that we're trying to get out there. So the newness is when it gets, you know, when it gets out there and produced, I would say, for, for the things that we have right now. Okay. You're, you're catching us at an interesting time. We have, in the last uh, year and a half, done Animal Story, the musical we wrote when we were in our 20s twice. We've done a, a shortened version of Morning Becomes Ridiculous. We've done Running For My Life, Chuck's play, which needs to have another production, preferably in Chicago, because <laughs> I think Chicago people will really relate to it. But it's also very 90s, and it's very interesting how the 90s are now far enough away that people look back on that with nostalgia. Right. We created a soundtrack to go with it. Um, it and then In Love with the Arrow, Collar Man is not intended to stop with this production, but we just have to see where we go with it. Um, and meanwhile, we're still doing readings every uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day, particularly for Flower of Iowa, uh, my novel, so, which would make a good miniseries. You know, I knew it was a reach when I asked that, because yeah. when you've got like yeah. six projects yeah. that are rolling, that's, that's great. And I think a, a lot of writers and artists envy that. Because it sounds like a lot of stuff that you had sitting to the side that you've written that was really... You now have an opportunity to bring all of that out and show it. Yes. I mean, I have... God knows I have six or seven different things that I would love to to uh, put on the front burner now. So what an enviable position to be in. So we're happy with that, actually. Good to be, to yeah, be in the we place are. we are. With good. We are. He has uh, one of his other musicals that he wrote, David, is really good, Starbird Home. Uh, and I would love to see another production of that next, maybe. But we'll so, it just, it just depends. What a charm time. Yes. That's great. Now, do you ever have to tell yourself, okay, just stop and realize that this is all happening? Once again, we're going back to the psychology of success. I'm sorry. I, I have a tendency it's, it's all to my tell, insecurities. Right? I have a tendency to tell him that specifically. Um, is, yeah, I said to him when we were, you know, having a rough time recently during putting this together. I said, "Can you imagine your 22-year-old self thinking that 40 years later you would have done directed six things in a row in New York?" 
Could you imagine it? Not at all. No? No, it didn't even occur to me. No? Didn't, not at all. Wow. Well, so, so it's here excellent. we are. Here you are. Oh, yeah. It's, that's, that's amazing. Okay. If uh, you guys could give me any or all of your social information, and that would be terrific. Well, the uh, In Love with the Arrow Collar Man has a Facebook page. Which Great. is Arrow Collar Man on Facebook. Cool. And um, the uh, since I'm here, even though it's a novel, Flower of Iowa has both a, a social media a Facebook page, Flower of, of Iowa, as in the state, and a, um, a website, flowerofiowa.com. And then Chuck has a Facebook page. Well, it's just a Facebook page, but I there is a page for the that's started as the Oscar Levant show, but it hasn't been updated or anything. So the best place to reach me is through through his things because they're much more they're much more updated. Okay, so, we have wonderful publicists who keep these things up because good. I'm not. I, I somehow social media became a bridge too far for me, even working in communications. So we have these great publicists who keep those things up. Oh. <laughs> You know, I just brought on a publicist for this show, and I'm like so glad that I did. It's they they do so it's much really good. Well. It's yeah. it's if, uh, if if there's anything that's like boosted the profile of your program is your ticket. It's my publicist that's Andrea right. Alton. So yeah, yeah, I I, I, I don't yeah, get our it. our publicist Jay Blotcher and Ellen Klein are really good, and it's funny because when I came to Theater 80 and we were talking about signing the contract, I said, "Oh, they'll take care of this." and and the person I was dealing with said, oh, we get so many people come through here say they, they feel like their publicists are worthless. I said, not me. Oh. Not me. I got really good publicists. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if they earn their money, yeah. you're, you're aces. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for being with us, guys. Thank this you, was great. Sean. Pleasure. Thank you, Sean. A pleasure. Will you come back? Oh, sure. absolutely. Please, please. <laughs> oh, great, great. Not even come to New York. <laughs> that would be we great. do live in New York and Poughkeepsie. So. <laughs> well, it was a nice field trip for us. Go oh, good. So yeah. we can get out of the city for, for sure. a day or two. Um, you guys were terrific. An amazing interview. And, and I'm, I'm just so thrilled that we could have you on the show. Thank you so much. to be much. here. Thank oh, you. It's my pleasure. Now, at the end of each show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions worth a recommendation. On tonight's show, I'd like to recommend a new play presented by Roundabout Theater in New York City. It's called The Last Match. It's written by Anna Ziegler and directed by Gay Taylor Upchurch. Now, here's the synopsis straight from the Roundabout Theater website. Um, Here it is. You've given it all to reach the top of your game. Now, where do you go from here? That's the question at the heart of Anna Ziegler's new play, The Last Match. It's the semifinals of the U.S. Open, and two tennis greats are facing off in the match of their lives. Tim Porter, the aging All-American favorite, wants to prove to the world, his wife, and himself that he's still a champion. Hot-headed rising star Sergei Sergeyev, that's his name, well, that's his Mm. name in the play, struggles to believe he truly uh, deserves to beat his lifelong hero. So, there you go. It's excellent with well-paced performances, and not just from Wilson Bethel and Alex... I, I'm sorry, Alex, if I'm going to butcher your name. Mikowicz as the two tennis pros, but also the ladies in the cast. Um, the ladies are Zoe Winters and Natalia Payne, and they play wives in the story. But uh, don't let that throw you. All of the characters are full-fledged, multidimensional um, people, and just just very, very vivid and terrific character studies. Uh, the... The themes are universal, they're relatable, and they're about something we were talking about earlier, ambition, drive, and focus. 
Um, I especially like the emphasis on the psychology behind sports, what it takes to keep your head in the game and manage the stresses of personal life as well as deep insecurities while participating in fierce competition. If you're uh, somebody who is in competition, uh, you will understand that. It's about keeping your head clear and, and keeping focus. That's really hard. They actually have therapists for, for that, for sports. Um, if you don't like tennis, it won't matter. If you don't like sports, it won't matter. It is a very, very good show. Um, the last match is playing at the Laura Pels Theater in New York City until December 23rd. You can visit www.roundabouttheater, that's theater with an R-E, dot org, that's dot org. Just remember that, roundabouttheater.org, for tickets and information. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guests, the sensational Lance Ringel and Chuck Muckle. Thanks, guys, again. Thank Amazing. You, you can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket at facebook.com backslash program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. The website is yourprogramisyourticket.com. I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Rate me, write me a review. I got a review the other day. It was so wonderful. Subscribe. Uh, folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.